following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. This morning, let me just say that, that I love you all, and I know some of you don't even know me very well, um, but I, I have great affection for this church, and, and I, I think about what Paul says you know, to the Philippians. He said that, you know, I thank God in all remembrances of you because of your partnership in the gospel. And one thing I love about Cornerstone is truly your partnership with us in the gospel. And you guys are for real. You know, I, I get to preach often. I mean, it's a privilege of mine. I do. I, I won't see my home church again to sometime in March. And, and, and I'll be out again after that. But I get to preach often. And I could just tell you that we can preach and talk Jesus, but living it is a whole other thing. And, and, and how, how we are as a church. And I, I love this church because you guys are Jesus-centered. I think in, in something you wrote somewhere, you talk about the gospel being epicenter, and that's true of this church. And you probably don't get that because you're here, so it puts you in a little bit of a bubble, but that's not true everywhere. Words fall just kind of shallow sometimes. I love this church for that. And the other thing is, um, in that chapter where Paul's talking to, to the Philippians, he, he says at one point, he says, I, I hold you in my heart. I hold you in my heart. And Paul at that time, he was, uh, you know, he, he, he was basically saying, you know, you're in my heart. You're, you're, you're in my soul. You're in my thinking because I'm so grateful, you know, not only for you. I mean, in your partnership, in the hard times in the gospel, and when you're, when you're living life together for the gospel, it gets hard, right? Is that true? It's true of Paul. I mean, the guy went through so much. But he held them in his heart because he, he knew in the hard times the Philippians were, were there. And I have to say, I, I've been a part of this ministry for 17 years in Crisis Pregnancy Center world. And, um, you know, this church is dear to me. You guys have helped us in the hard times of the gospel. And I don't have enough time to talk about it all today, but it's, it's deep and it's significant to me. And then in that same chapter, Paul says that there is this, this yearning, this yearning he has for the Philippians with the affection of Jesus Christ. And I would say, I know what Paul's talking about because I have that yearning for you. Like, I literally wanted to be here today. I wanted to be here today. Uh, in my speaking schedule, usually I don't come to churches I've been to before in January, February, March. Um, but because of the snow, one of my sermons got, one of, got displaced, so they want me to come back at another time. And, and I was hoping and praying. I was longing. I wanted to be a cornerstone, and I knew there were other churches I probably should go to because they just don't get it. They just don't get it, and God has me to go and share his word, and, and you can determine what it is all you want, but, you know, they just don't get it. But you guys, you do. You do. So I'm grateful I get to be here today to kind of tune you up a little bit because we all need tuning up, right? Like as I'm tuning you up, I've tuned myself up for this moment this morning, right? So if we could, let's just jump in. And I don't know how my right ear is going to do, guys. I don't know if I just have to give up here at some point, but I, that, that dangling thing there is going to drive me nuts. But if you would, let's just jump right into the Word. And we're going to be in Psalm 139, starting out in verse, seven, in verse 13, and I'm going to be in the ESV, which is the non-heretical version, so um, if you would, just turn there. And really, this is the only church I could probably get away with that comment, so you know, I, I don't get to say that very often. And um, so Psalm 139, we're going to start in verse 13 as the video led us as well, and so here we are, I'm going to read, 
So you're with me, Psalm 139, and you might have your Bible in your hand on your phone or in, in written form, which is crazy, radical nowadays. But isn't it awesome we get to hold the Word of God in our hands? Isn't it awesome? I mean, in our hands. I'm grateful to provide it on the screen. But in our hands, in our hands, Psalm 139, verse 13, I'm reading, it says, For you... He's talking to the Lord. For you, Lord, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. And so Cornerstone, let's just get it straight right out, right out of the gate. Listen, very important. Your mama didn't make you and your daddy didn't make you. God made you and he used them in the process. You know what I'm saying? Y'all okay? You need more caffeine? You with me? Verse 14, I praise you for I am fearfully, and that word can be translated awesomely, I, I praise you for I am fearfully and awesomely and wonderfully made. My, wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. And I would say to you this morning, Cornerstone, that, that my soul knows it very well. That's why I get a little excited in the beginning. My soul knows it very well. My youngest boy, Sawyer, he was four years old. On uh, August 17, 2011, he's four years old. And on that day, he was just really sick. You know, had a high fever. And um, uh, throughout the day, he was just getting sicker. And, and then into the night, he just got sicker. And as a parent, you, you know where I'm coming from. Like, there's that, that, that moment where you're thinking, well the middle of the night. Do I, do I take them in? Do I just go ahead and head over to the children's hospital, get the antibiotics, and, and come home and just get this thing taken care of? Or, or can I wait until 7 o'clock when six side of the pediatrician's office opens up? And you know what I'm talking about, parents? That, that just that moment, you're just like, do I, do I let them just stay and, 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 and suffer it out? And uh, by 2 o'clock in the morning, Karen and I, we were just convinced there was no way we could let them suffer it out any longer. I mean, the fever was high, and we thought because of the fever, that's why he was experiencing aches, and he was shouting out. I mean, he was just in so much pain. And so we took him over to CHKD, and we thought, we're just going to get this over with, get the antibiotics, come home, neighbors watching the kids, and, and, and we, we, we didn't end up coming home for a whole other month. Uh, as soon as we got there, they're running their tests and they're doing their thing. And what they determined was uh, Sawyer's kidneys had failed. He was in end-stage kidney disease. And before I could even understand or process the word kidney, here's the nephrologist, Dr. Rafat, telling us his kidneys are gone. Like they don't, they're not coming back. You, you, you're, you're, you're facing transplant someday soon. And we've got to get you on over to the ICU where Sawyer started his first dialysis treatment. And um, that was heavy. That was heavy. And Sawyer, uh, he, he had that dialysis treatment, and he just kept on having dialysis treatments. As a matter of fact, he had a certain procedure that allowed him to come home, and he was doing peritoneal dialysis at home. In the first two weeks, he was doing 16 hours a day of dialysis. And then after two weeks, he was doing 10 hours a day of dialysis. And 10 hours uh, seemed like a true blessing after 16. There's a, there's a big difference between those two. And so we were just grateful for, it was 10 hours, and it was 10 hours every day for the rest of 2011, 
And then 2012 came around, and he was doing dialysis every day in 2012 until March 20th of 2012 when my hero wife donated her kidney to him. And I, you know, the last three churches I've been in, they have this front way monitor here, and, and that's a hard one. Um, transplant day is transplant day is a horrible day and it is an awesome day all at the same time it's horrible because um, God in his infinite wisdom although I pray every day on my knees on my face on the floor begging Jesus because I know Jesus and the power outflowing from his resurrection and all you have to do is just hardly think about it. And those kidneys could be resurrected. And I was begging Jesus. And I just said, Jesus, would you heal my son? And when kidney day came, it was just the, the affirmation of God's wisdom in his life that he chose for Sawyer to continue down this path, for Karen to continue down that path. And as much as I would have done anything in the world to prevent it, it happened, and, and, and I don't have time to talk about that and what happens with transplant patients afterwards and all these other things, but, but it happened. But it's also an awesome day. It is an awesome day because, you know, my son who's been tethered to this machine every day, you know, he just he couldn't get more than 10 or 15 feet away from our bedside. And, 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 and now he gets to experience freedom again. He can walk around. He's not, he's, not, he's not chained to that machine anymore. And so transplant day is an awesome day. It's an awesome day. One of the most remarkable moments happens when Dr. Kalana, over at the Norfolk General, Dr. Kalana, the surgeon, he, he reaches in and he removes my wife's kidney from her. And then he literally escorts it over to the children's hospital and, and places it in my son. That is a fantastic, awesome moment. It's such an awesome moment that they get excited too. And, and when that kidney arrived, uh, Nurse Melissa, she came out and she said, hey, hey, the, the kidney has arrived, big proclamation, the kidney has arrived, and it is a big, healthy kidney. And I, I can assure you later on that night when I had just a few seconds with Karen, all I told her was that you have a healthy kidney, honey. Because guys, amen, you never tell your wife anything's big on her, right? <laughs> yeah, they, they relate here. They know. Yeah, I don't care where the part is. You don't say it's big. You don't do that. So I didn't do that that night. And so you might be wondering, so why are you telling me today it was big? Because it's relative to what I'm sharing with you that... It indeed was a big, healthy kidney. And it was so big that, that when, when Dr. Kalana placed that kidney inside of Sawyer, he literally had to squeeze it inside of Sawyer, and then he zipped him up. And he wouldn't say he zipped him up, but I do. He squeezed it in, he zipped him up, and it was so tight in there that Sawyer had a whole new problem, and that was that the kidney was now pressing on his liver so hard it was causing him liver problems. And so for weeks uh, after that, they were dealing with the, you know, just monitoring the liver problems. But here's the cool thing, and this is where I'm going. That big, 
healthy kidney that was inside of my son, as soon as it was, it was, it was hooked up, and Dr. Kalana wouldn't call it hooking it up, but as soon as it was hooked up, you know, it started to work. And where my son could not grow for so long because without kidneys, you're impaired in your growth. You know, that, that was going to give him freedom to grow. But here's the cool thing. The moment that kidney was put inside my son's frame and hooked up, that big kidney began to shrink. And that big kidney over the next few days and weeks and months, it just shrunk and it shrunk and it shrunk and it shrunk and it shrunk till it became the, the perfect size kidney for my son at, at his height and his weight and in this part of his life. And, and he's 10 years old today and as he's been growing and he's growing, he's catching up with the rest of his friends, that, that kidney's been growing with him. cornerstone do you get it we 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 are uh, we are fearfully and awesomely and wonderfully made my soul knows it well i am talking to you this morning about what some don't even think about the, the kidney, this little organ in our, in our body. And it is amazing, isn't it? It is amazing. I, I mean, I've met so many specialists and, and transplant surgeons and nephrologists and, and ure, urologists, and, and, and they have studied the kidney all the way around. They, they know so much about the kidney, but also the thing they know is they, don't, they just don't know so much. We can't even begin, we can't even begin to process how awesome the engineering is in the kidney, in the kidney. Oh my goodness. Fearfully, wonderfully, awesomely made. Verse 15 says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, uh, I have a good friend, Dr. Alan McFarland uh, in Portsmouth, and, and I heard him preach on Psalm 139 one time, and he said, you know, when God is doing something in secret, you best leave it alone. Again, verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, and we know that's symbolic for, we're talking about the womb here. Verse 16, your eyes your eyes saw my unformed substance. So listen to this. Even before you were formed, before you, you know, before your, your arm buds started protruding and, your, and, and your, your legs and your feet, and your, before you were formed, God recognized you. God knew you. He, he saw you. Dr. Jerome Lejeune, he, uh, he is uh, known as the father of modern genetics, and he said this. It's a long quote, so y'all hang on. Um, I know you're used to Stacy's preaching, so y'all can do this. Um, hang on now. Uh, this is a quote from Dr. Jerome Lejeune. And he, I know he's going to get me back at some point, and um, I'm not looking forward to that day. But this is what Dr. Jerome Lejeune says. 
He says life has a very long history, but each individual has a very neat beginning, the moment of its conception. The material link is the molecular thread of DNA. In each reproductive cell, don't get lost in the science here, in each reproductive cell, the ribbon of DNA, roughly one meter long, is cut into 23 pieces or chromosomes. As soon as the 23 paternally derived chromosomes are united through fertilization with the 23 maternal ones, the full genetic meeting the full genetic meaning necessary to express all, what does all mean? All, to express all the inborn qualities of the new individual is gathered and personal constitution takes place. And this is where he ends. To accept the fact that after fertilization has taken place, a new human has come into being is no longer a matter of taste or opinion. So Cornerstone, understand this. Get your facts right. Know this, that at the moment, and this is science. Science is clear. Science has affirmed what God has already told us. Science is clear that at the moment of fertilization, you are fully alive and fully human. That is not in dispute. Then we continue in verse 16, and it says, In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when yet, uh, when as yet there were none of them. So be, before he formed you, uh, even before that, even before that, before one day began for you, all of your days have been ordained for you. And take heart in that. Because I know it's hard out there, but he knows it too. He, knows, he, is, he is not trumped. And then verse 17, I mean the video skipped verse 17. I could have skipped verse 17, but we can't skip verse 17. It's an, it's an awkward reading, especially in the ESV. But, but we're going to read it because this, this verse, this verse, I mean, I, I don't have time, but it's a whole other sermon. It's, it's, it, let's read it. It's, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. Whose thoughts? God's thoughts. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. So listen up. If, if I had, if I could today, like spend a moment with you individually, this is what I would want to say to you. If I could just get you in a room and just look you in the eyes and say this, this is what I want to say to you today. God thinks about you all the time. You, you can't even begin to process how much God thinks about you. You know, I, I know, like me, you, you probably get a little off center and you, and you forget that, that he thinks about you because, you know, we know we're not in the garden anymore, right? That we're on this sin, dead, broken, fallen planet. And it's really easy to kind of just forget that this great God Almighty, although we're a speck, not even a speck, hardly vapor in this universe, thinks about us. But it's true that he does. And let's review. He intricately wove you together in the depths of the womb, right? He recognized you. He knew you before he formed you. And he ordained all your days for you. He thinks about you so much. And so until you get back in that garden, because that day's coming, 
until you get back in that garden, you hold tight. You hold tight. You hold tight to his word. His word is precious. Psalm 139, isn't it awesome? Y'all okay? You need caffeine? (laughs) Psalm 139, isn't it awesome? He did not have to give us this. He didn't. But he, he gave us this. And he gave us his spirit. And we can persevere. Now listen, you know, when I, when I start talking about God and what he's doing in that secret, sacred place of the womb, you know, it, it, it just starts to beg a question. And even in your own heart, you're wondering, like, when's he going to get to it? Because, you know, it's the moment where it's a little tension in the room. And, and because it just begs a question, like when we know so clearly that it's God, it's God creating us, it's God doing that work in the womb, it just begs a question of us. We start to beg the question, would we dare interfere with God Almighty as he's doing that work in that secret, sacred place of the womb? Would we dare? And I would say yes to you, Cornerstone, we would dare. We would dare to interrupt his, his work in that secret, sacred the place of the womb. We've done it over 58 million times since 1973. Each day, each day in this country, we interfere with God Almighty in that secret, sacred place over 2,700 times a day. And then here in Southampton Roads, just Southampton Roads, I'm not including the peninsula, but just here in Southampton Roads, in 2015, and this is the latest statistic that we have, there were thousands more in 2016. But in 2015, we would dare interrupt God in that secret, sacred place of the womb 5,204 times. And numbers are tricky. Like I could spout numbers to you all day long, and what do they mean? Let me give you a different perspective of that 5,204 here in Southampton Roads. Listen, in Southampton Roads, for every three babies born, one will lose its life to an abortion. Can you process that? I'm going to say it like this, and, and, and I'm, I'm not sensational. I'm just being truthful, and, and it's just a different way of saying it, but it's truth. It's just pure truth. God, he creates this one, and he's knitting together this one, and he's put together this one, and he's ordained the days for this one, and he's creating him or her, and then we toss away one. That, that is literally what happens. That is literally what happens. We, we have disposed of life that doesn't even belong to us. We absolutely, we absolutely need the gospel here. And so as I'm wrapping up, I want to talk to two groups of people before we leave this morning. And the first group, uh, man, it's so it's just so critical I'll start with you. And that would be those of you uh, men and women, you've experienced abortion um, in, in whatever capacity. I, I, um, I would just say this morning, I come very humbly to you. I'm not here to bring you condemnation. Uh, focus on the family reports that one in seven women in the church have had an abortion. And so, I mean, I've spoken to so many churches in my time. 
And I have to tell you, I mean, the day before I speak, and I don't care how many times I've spoken, the day before I speak, I, I am just wrecked. I'm still wrecked. I'm not desensitized to this. I'm not, I'm not numb. I am wrecked. In my heart, I just begin to think, you know, Lord, you're asking me to go in there and say these things, and I know that there is a woman there who I, I've just taken this scab, and I, I've just ripped off this scab off the off this old wound. And Lord, I know there's this man. I know this man. I don't know him, but I know he's there. And he, and he paid for the abortion. And, and, I, and I just ripped the scab off his wound. And, and Lord, and this is, do you see why I'm not desensitized? Do you, do you see that? How do you, how do you get desensitized to that? How do you not come humbly to this? I, I know, I'm like, Lord, I know I'm speaking today to the grandparents who didn't do enough or say enough to stop it. And I, I am ripping the scab off of this old wound. And so as I come to you this morning, I, I just say very clearly, I am not here, even though I know it hurts, I'm not here to bring you condemnation. Just the opposite. Well, let's go back to the Word. We know this passage. Man, this is, this is a passage. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Jesus Christ, through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives us life has set us free from the law of sin and death. And so Stacy gets this and Jordan gets this, and if they don't, I just expect Jordan to step up right now and call me a heretic when I say this, but it's so important for you, sir or ma'am, who have experienced abortion, that you hear what I'm getting ready to say right now, right here on this platform, Cornerstone Bible Church's platform, you say this, and if I'm a heretic, I expect a stone. Abortion is not the unpardonable sin. It is not. It is not. Jesus. Jesus gave up his life so that you wouldn't have to because of what happened to your little one. Recognize him this morning. Celebrate him as your great king and rescuer surrender your life to him because in that surrender there is life there is life you are free you are free now here's the crazy thing so I'm speaking in churches usually there's a lot of Christians in there you ever notice that and um, in our ministry we, we, we have a whole other uh, uh, part of our ministry where we serve and minister to women and men who have experienced abortion. And they're a unique group of people to me for so many reasons. But for one reason is, when they start the program, I'm just overwhelmed by the thought that these people who know Jesus, they, they know Jesus. They, they have at some point surrendered their life to Jesus. And they're free. They're, they're as free as it gets. But these Christians, they walk around like people 
with shackles on their ankles. And that might be you this morning. Like you still, and you know, and you, you can sing, you can sing, and you can read, and you can minister, but you still struggle, and, and you, you, you haven't, though you get it here, you're not feeling it here. You're not walking, you're not really walking in that freedom because you're, you're still uptight right here. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if you're in here this morning, and here's the crazy thing, I know you're in here this morning. I know it, I humbly know it. And I'm saying to you, sir or ma'am, you look down at your ankles because there are no shackles there. Is that true, Pastor? There are no shackles there. Because in Jesus, you have grace. In Jesus, you have mercy. In Jesus, you have forgiveness. And in Jesus, you have freedom. And you know what? Maybe abortion's not your thing that's pinning you down and got you shackled. So you just take that word out and you put whatever else you need to put in there because you're free too. Amen? Y'all okay? I don't have any coffee for you. Now, the last group of people I need to talk to before uh, we walk out of here today, and we're going to walk out of here in a few minutes, um, the last group of people I need to talk to is very important. And this last group is absolutely everybody in this room. There is like no exceptions. That's the group. Even the person getting ready to walk in. Even that brother. There are no exceptions. This is the group I want to talk to. Every, everybody in here. And, and this is what I want to say to you with great uh, passion and fervor and conviction. And I want to say to you, folks, here at Cornerstone, I want to say to you, come, come to the aid of your most defenseless neighbor. Do that. Do that with a sense of urgency. Come to the aid of your most defenseless neighbor. Speak up. Be a voice for someone who has no voice for the voiceless. Right? Proverbs, what, 31, 8, somewhere in there? Be a voice for the voiceless. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. You know, on, uh, 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 on this side of eternity, listen, and, and I say this with great conviction. Like, you can argue with me afterwards, and that's okay. I'm, I'm good with that. But on this side of eternity, you know, Jesus, Jesus said, you know, and, and Jordan took us there this morning. Uh, whatever you have not done for the least of these, you've not done for me. You know, so as a, as a baby Christian, I just started thinking, well, then, Jesus, who, who are the most less than in our community? And this is what got my heart. Like, Jesus, who's the most less than in our community? And to you this morning, what I want to say with great conviction, argue it with me later if you'd like, but I would say to you, Cornerstone, that you, the, the most less than neighbor in all of Hampton Roads would be that child on its way to an abortion facility. You tell me, how do you get any more less than that? Because on this side of eternity, their ultimate destiny is in a trash can. Argue the point with me. How, how do you get any less than that? And so I'm saying, Cornerstone, intervene. Come to the aid of your most defenseless and vulnerable neighbor. And you know, when we do talk about abortion, it gets, it gets, uh, it gets a little hairy and it gets a little intense. And I, and I felt that in this room this morning. Uh, although you needed coffee, I could still feel that tension. 
And, 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 and so abortion will do that to us when we're talking about it. But let's take it off of abortion for one second. I want to share a story with you. It's about, it's about a guy. It's a true story. It happened. I saw it in the news, and I couldn't believe what I was seeing. But it's a story about uh, Mr. Gerald Wright. He's in Michigan. And Mr. Wright was outside of a convenience store, and, um, and he was shot. He was shot outside of this convenience store. And after Mr. Wright was shot, he started hauling it towards the front door of this convenience store, I guess, to take refuge. And as, as Mr. Wright was opening the door of the convenience store, he literally passed right there in the doorway. And, 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 and if I wasn't watching this myself, because, you know, there are cameras everywhere, everywhere. There are cameras everywhere. And, and, if, I, and if I hadn't have been watching this myself, I, I wouldn't have believed what I'm getting ready to tell you. But it's 100% true. I saw it with my own eyes. I couldn't believe it. Mr. Wright laid there dead in the doorway. And for the minutes that followed, and it seemed like, I mean, it was just agonizing. No, no one came to the aid of Mr. Wright. As a matter of fact, because I guess people, you know, they're on a mission. They got things to do. They got to get that bubble gum, their Slurpees, whatever they got to get, right? The Doritos, and they got to they get it. They got to get the Red Bull. They got to get whatever they get in the, in the convenience store. So as Mr. Wright literally laid there dead in the doorway of this convenience store, these people kept walking in and out of the convenience store. And guess what? He's still in the doorway. So they had to walk over Mr. Wright to get in and then walk over Mr. Wright to get out. And he was kind of, a, you know, an imposing figure there. So with Mr. Wright there, they couldn't just walk. They, they literally had to kind of leap over Mr. Wright. And so in the process of doing that, just the force of their body, some of them larger than others, hit the door. And, and as it hit the door, it flung open. They didn't catch the door. They didn't, they didn't stop the door from coming back. They let the door go. And the door literally just kept slamming on Mr. Wright's body. And I watched on this video for, I mean, it felt like forever, this door opening and then slamming and just bouncing off of Mr. Wright. And it would open and it would slam on Mr. Wright. Does that, does that, just be honest, does that make you just a little bit angry? Sorry to say that. There's, there's this, is there a bit of a righteous anger welling up inside of you right now when, you, when I tell you that story? Or you just need more caffeine? Come on, Cornerstone. Y'all got to get out of here. So are you feeling a little pinch on that? You, you get it? A little angry? Well, then just let me wax philosophical for one moment. All right? Just for one moment. Cornerstone. What is the difference between the people who leapt and walked over Mr. Wright and us here in Southampton Roads who, who, who just continue to walk on, walk over these little ones, 5,204. What's the difference? What did we do? Do me a favor. If you would, write this down real quick. Just write it down. I know you got a phone. I saw your phones. I know you got a phone. So text yourself, whatever you need to do. Um, 
Take a note, Evernote, OneNote, lots of notes, whatever you got there is an app. Paper, pen, do this or we're not gonna ever leave and there's another service that's supposed to start, so you have to do this, okay? If you would, just write this down very quickly. I just want you to write it down, don't look it up, I just want you to write it down, don't Google it, don't do anything, just write it down. Ready? Write this down, Proverbs chapter 24, verses 11 and 12. Proverbs chapter, don't turn to it. I see somebody turning to it. Don't do it. Proverbs chapter 24, verses 11 and 12. I'm going to recite it to you right now, so can I just get your attention? Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart Receive it one more time. Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. And if you say, and if you say, but God, but God, we didn't, we didn't know anything about these children. We didn't know anything about these 5,204. But didn't we know something? I mean, we're not really in that much of a bubble, are we? I mean, I know you didn't know 5,204, but didn't, didn't you know something was going on? Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Hey, listen, you can't hide. He sees so deeply into you. He thinks about you. He knows you. He, he knows. He knows. And so I ask you this question, and I do it with complete humility, and I ask it of myself every day. What did you do? And now I'm not talking to Cornerstone, because I know Cornerstone Bible Church. Like, you are our partners. But if, if I could get you in a room, I wouldn't, because I don't, I don't really want to get you in a room and asking this question, because I, I just, just, this is just between you and God. So I don't really need to know. But, it, but it's just a question. And if the shoe fits, wear it. And if it doesn't, just dismiss it. And praise God that you can dismiss it. But I'm just going to ask the question, and it's this. What what did you, you, do to come to the aid of your most defenseless neighbor in 2015? Of those 5,204, what, what did you do, you, to come to their aid in 16 and so far in, in 17? In Cornerstone, I bring you no condemnation. You, you are free. But we got to wrestle with this. We can't, we can't ignore the least of these. Russell Moore, who is, uh, he's like this brainiac culture guy. I'm going to read this quick quote from Russell. Um, he wrote in his book, Engaging the Culture Without Losing the Gospel. He said, a Christianity that does not prophetically speak for human dignity is a Christianity that has lost anything distinctive to say. The gospel is, after all, grounded in the uniqueness of humanity in creation, redemption, and consummation. To stand idly by and do nothing for these oppressed is not a demonstration of the gospel. It is an insult to it. Now, I'll give you a break, church, because, you know, in 2015, there were no cameras catching all this action, right? 
You know, you, you're not seeing it in the news. Did you hear on the news? Raise your hand if you heard on the news about the 5,204. You would not hear that on the news. So, so it's not as sensational. It's not as dynamic. It's not in our face. So I get that. So you're like wondering, wow, that's a big, heavy question. But what would you have expected me to do, Toby, in 2015 or 2016 or now in 2017? So I'll just give you as, as I'm done. Now, here it is. I'm done. Uh, four quick baby steps. Uh, and, and they'll go very fast. Baby step number one. I asked you to write down that scripture, right? So this is what I want you to do this week. It's not so radical. Open that scripture up, read it. Take you 30 seconds, read that scripture. Ask God this one question. God, what would you have me to do? I'm not here to be your Holy Spirit this morning. He is more than capable. God, what would you have me to do? Ask him. That's baby step number one. Baby step number two, I challenge you, Cornerstone, pray. When's the last time you prayed about this? I don't know. I haven't been here since 2010. I don't know. I know so many of your leaders are. I know some, some of your folks are. But when's the last time you, you in the chair, has prayed about this? I mean, when's the last time you prayed for these little ones, for their moms? 58 million little ones, 58 million moms, 58 million dads, 58 million sets of grandparents. Here's one for me. Here, here's one for me. Toby, when was the last time you prayed for the abortionist? Jordan. Has the abortionist done something so horrible that our King Jesus can't rescue him or her? Absolutely not. That's good theology. I've seen abortionists come to Jesus, repent, and give up that evil practice. Don't stop praying for them. Baby step number three. This is where I challenge you. You can take action right now out in that hallway. I'm going to challenge you to go out in that hallway and fill out this contact card to get on the mailing list for the Crisis Pregnancy Center of Tidewater. And I know what you're thinking. Is this, like, aha, he came just so he could get these cards and we get on his mailing list and then like he fundraises us to death. And I'm just going to tell you that when you get on our mailing list, we don't have enough funds to like send you letters all the time to fundraise. So it's a safe bet. But when you do sign up, I know one thing you'll get every month and, 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 and it's a prayer card, literally with first names of women that are due that month. And some of them, We've lost contact with them. They may have had their abortion. When you're praying over those names, those, that's a big-time thing. Pray, pray. But here's the other thing. I'm unapologetic about it because if you're, like, actually wondering, like, what can we do? What can we do to come to the aid of this neighbor? At Crisis Pregnancy Center of Tidewater, somehow or another, you'll find a way. If it's not there, we can point you in another direction, but you'll find a way. We served over 1,700 women last year. We had... Um, each year, between 50 to 100 moms and dads make commitments to Christ. Last year, we had 579 lives that were spared, and there were more. There were more, but these were the ones that we knew about that we could keep contact with. 579 lives spared because of God's work in the hearts of their mothers through this ministry. And as many of you know, because you helped get us there, we just opened a brand new regional clinic uh, September 26th in Greenbrier. And that clinic, God has been blessing us there. And that first week, um, the first baby rescued, there was just mom and, and dad. Uh, they were married, and they were on their way to Planned Parenthood to have their abortion. And somehow or another, somebody told them about our Kime Centers. That's what we call our medical clinics. Somebody told, us, told them about our Kime Centers, and they came. They came. Instead of going to the abortion facility, they came. And in the exam room, nurse, uh, the sonographer, Heather, she was doing what she does, using the belly probe um, with the jelly. And she was walking this girl through all the things that was getting ready to happen and not really paying attention to the screen yet, just prepping her for this exam. And as she's moving and working, suddenly 
the image comes up. Heather doesn't notice it, but the mother does. And the mother says, oh, my gosh, it's moving. That's my baby. And Heather really didn't have anything more to say after that. And then the dad later on, a few minutes later, after he's seeing this image, he literally starts beating his chest and he starts crying. He starts tearing up. And he said, that heartbeat, it gets me right here. There's no way we can go through with this. And that's what she wanted him to say the whole time. God is moving. Maybe that's step number four. I'm only putting it here because I know you're doing it. There's some bottles out there that you can take home and fill out for the pregnancy center. But let's do this first. You take a bottle, but read that scripture. Ask God, Lord, what would you have me to do even with this bottle? I'm not trying to be your Holy Spirit today. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much uh, for your word. Thank you for Psalm 139. And you didn't have to give us that. And we just thank you, Lord, that you did. And Lord, uh, this morning, I know that there are uh, scabs that have been pulled off of old wounds. And Lord, I pray that just not even with their ears, but with their hearts, that they could hear and feel and see uh, freedom. And if they've never surrendered to your son, Jesus, Lord, that they would see that light and they would run, 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 run to him. And for those who are not, for those who are in Christ, Lord, I pray that they would run, 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 run like people with no shackles. And Lord, forgive us as a church for not coming and intervening for our most defenseless, empowered by your spirit to do the right thing on this side of eternity. We fall short. We could do nothing without your son, Jesus. With your spirit, we love you. Take us back to the garden, Lord. Take us back to the garden. We love you in Jesus' name.